Hello and welcome to another episode of Analyzing Mormonism. This is episode 36, and I got together with Jen Camp and my partner, America, and we discussed Wives 6 through 10 on our Truth Be Told podcast. And this is the audio for that, and I hope you guys enjoy it. everyone. Thanks for joining us again on our Truth Be Told podcast. We are here for our second podcast in our polygamy series, which I am super excited about. Um, Super passionate about polygamy and learning truths and truth claims. Um, A big part of my deconstruction process from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so it kind of has a special place in my heart to kind of learn of these women and their writings or things about them. So I am super excited about this series and want to bring on um, the amazing women who are behind all of this information. Um, America and Julia, how are you today? We're so good. (laughs) Good. Thank you for all your research and everything that you're doing to put these podcasts together for us. Um, I know it takes uh, a lot of time and effort and the slides and everything. So just know that I'm so grateful for you. Yeah, well, I love this research. This is just fun to me. (laughs) Julia, and kind of tell us a little bit about um, this second podcast, part two of the polygamy series here. Yeah, so we're just going over wives like six through ten. Um, so if you go to the next slide, this is just a, this, like a overview of all the women that we're talking about today and their ages. Um, everyone's over age. So yay! <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's really sad to say that, but yeah. So, um, so there, one thing I do want to point out and I, I'll point it out later too, but there is, I want to clock the polygamy denials too, like in the slides, but a lot of the denials that he gives are before, or a lot of them are before this point. We talked about a couple on this last one, but I'm only going to pull out one here because he only talks about one within these wives. Anyway, I just think that's really interesting that that while he's marrying women, he words it carefully enough that he can deny marrying these women. So yes, <laughs> yes, I'm glad that you guys include that and also ones that I guess just like what's happening during this time is yeah. important. And also what women he asked and they said no. <laughs> and no, I didn't add those ones here this time, um, but um, uh, Nancy Reagan is one, a big one that would have played in here because she, um, mm-hmm. Miranda Johnson is a big part of her story. Uh, but but I'll, I'll say that one because it's a really big topic to talk about. So Okay, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Okay, so this starts, we're starting in January of 1842. So Joseph takes his sixth polygamous wife. So this is Agnes Coolbrith. And she, um, I wanted to add her names. So I'm adding all the names of the women after because it's Smith, 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 Pickett. So she's, she <laughs> I, married, I love that you did that. Agnes Coolbrith, Smith, 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 Pickett. It's like that, she just went through, she just went through the Smiths, so. Okay. So let's set the stage though. Is it, this is, we're still before Emma even like the official 
DNC one thirty two, right? Or are we? She doesn't know about. Okay, she has some suspicions, and we'll talk about that as well, as far as what's going on in the, in the Relief Society. But mm -hmm. so far, she doesn't know whatever's oh, going. Oh, sorry. To hold on one sec. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, it's okay. Come in. <laughs> Dinner has arrived. For me. <laughs> I should keep that in. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'll put it on just the two of you and and eat my food. <laughs> Mute myself. Um. Okay. So yeah, tell us, kind of set the stage in what Emma knows. I mean, because Fanny Elder has happened, so mm -hmm. we know she has an inkling of what's going on. Yeah. So so Emma, yes, and like with Eliza Winters, her friend, and some of the other things, she's hearing rumors, but she doesn't know anything for sure. And we'll talk about this later with Relief Society, where she's getting more um, women telling her that Joseph's a polygamist, but she is very much in denial about that. So mm -hmm. we'll see that play in a little bit later. Okay. Okay. Awesome. All right. So Agnes, here we go. Yeah, so I wanted to make this note. I wanted to make this note because Agnes's story is the one I was telling people on my mission that Joseph was how he was living polygamy because they would say, oh, Joseph's a polygamist. And I would say, no, he only married widows. But really, that only happened four times of the 30 documented wives or more that he had. So it really is not interesting as a as a missionary. The church is telling you to say that. Right. Well, I don't know. If they, I, that, that's nowhere. That's nowhere in the preach my gospel maybe our mission president instructed it or that's just what I understood. I don't know if we were given specific, like mm -hmm. you have to say this. They but just... they're allowing you to say that Oh yeah, as a missionary, as, as people come in. Yeah. And so like we go, okay. we go to UNPC and we were not taught anything about polygamy. So we, we don't know. We don't know. These missionaries okay. don't know. <laughs> when you hear that, it's probably from somebody else telling you that they also don't like, it's just hearsay. Yeah, there's I mean, it's not like it's in um, your gospel doctrine class. Like we're not talking about polygamy. Well, they're not going to put it in print, you know, because then they would have to actually like admit it. Well, when, I keep thinking this is this boggles my mind. But in 2013, it was world news that Joseph Smith had 30 between 30 and 40 wives. Like that's when I was serving my mission. And so, yeah. like, yeah, that was just a few years ago. And I don't remember hearing. And you were at Temple Square, right, Julia? Um, I served for a little bit on Temple Square, but but I was up in Park City in the visitor center there, and then I would okay. go coming, and so I was so um, visitor centers, Temple yeah. Square, and you don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you don't know. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So okay. Levi rate marriage with oh Levi right oh we'll talk about that okay um, okay. Yeah, so Agnes Colbreth was born in Maine in 1808. So she was the third of eight children. A lot of these women have a lot of siblings, which I thought was really interesting. Um, so in 1832, she was boarding with a woman named Augusta Cobb. And during that time, um, this woman received a Book of Mormon. And then Agnes came to believe in it. She, they just, it was so slow, um, evolved into polygamy. Um, so one thing that uh, Todd Compton points out, that he thinks that Agnes and her friend Mary at the time they sent from they sent missionaries. They like, they wrote to Kirtland and said, "Hey, will you send missionaries up to us so that we can learn the gospel?" Mm -hmm. And so the missionaries came and they taught them. And they were she was baptized in Boston in June in July of eight, of July thirtieth. And then Compton made an interesting note. He says that while that concerning Pratt's and Smith's missions to Boston, he says if there were any male converts in Boston, they were not mentioned. So I thought that was really mm -hmm. interesting. So these men are 
just baptizing women. And, and in, part of baptism and con conversion to the church is that you moved to the saints. So they're recruiting women. So I find that interesting. Pretty yeah. Much, yeah. Pretty much all women. Yeah. So there is a pattern. This isn't quite following the same pattern, but there's a pattern that Joseph lives with women before he marries them. And this is like mm -hmm. the next best thing to actually living with Joseph is living for a time Agnes lived with Joseph's parents. Well, mm -hmm. so close proximity, I guess. But yeah. <laughs> so when Agnes was 27 and Don Carlos was just 19, they got married. So pretty big of an age gap. Um, so Don Carlos served two missions. And during this time, they had two children together. So Don Carlos is Joseph Smith's youngest Joseph Smith's brother. very youngest brother. Yeah, yeah that's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Don Carlos's second mission, he was sent to raise money for the saints to leave Missouri. And because Missouri was very, very hostile. Todd Compton tells that on October 18th at 10.30 p.m., a mob approached Agnes's house after sunset, turned her out, looted it, and then burned it to the ground. Gathering mm -hmm. her two-year-old, also named Agnes, and her six-month-old, Sophronia, which is um, named after her aunt, she gathered them in her arms. She fled in terror through three-inch deep snow. After running three miles, can you imagine having two children? Mm -hmm. running, she waded waist-deep through the icy Grand River. They found safety on the other side at the home of Lyman White. So wow. just setting the picture, like, that's really, really hard. Yeah. Uh, so Don Carlos appears to have loved his wife, and he, he writes really beautiful letters to her. Um, there's no doubt that he loved her, um, but I just wanted to pull these in because it kind of personifies them. But in one of his letters, he called he called Agnes the choice of youth, Agnes my bride. He called her his pearl of price, his precious, mm. pre precious jewel, and even the richest prize. And in one of his letters, he sent her money, and he was really concerned about her health. And he says, you are entwined around my heart with ties that are stronger than death and time cannot sever them. And I just thought that was really sweet, especially since he dies early. Mm -hmm. So there's conflicting accounts of whether Don Carlos accepted polygamy or he did not, or he opposed it. Yeah, I heard opposed. Yeah, so that's okay. That's what I'm leaning towards. But yeah. So Ebenezer Robinson remembers Don Carlos saying, any man who will teach and practice the doctrine of spiritual wifery will go to hell. I don't care if it is my brother, Joseph. Mm -hmm. There's there's one very strong opinion that he opposed it. And Robinson also wrote that Don Carlos was one of the most perfect men I ever knew, but that he was a bitter opposer of the spiritual wife doctrine, which was being talked quite freely in private circles in his lifetime. So, and then- That's it. Oh, okay. This is a story I was going to tell. So good. I'm glad that yeah. it's on here. Yeah, so so Ina is is uh, Don Carl Don Carlos's daughter. Her name is Josephine, but she goes by Ina. And so throughout their life, her and her cousin Joseph F. Smith write letters to each other. But Joseph F. Smith doesn't believe in polygamy. Okay, so so we have Ina, who's who is Don Carlos's own daughter, and then Joseph F. Smith, who is just a cousin who's probably not there very often. But so I feel like Ina is a little bit more reliable because she's hearing this from her mother. So I don't know where else she'd be hearing these things, but. So their daughter, Ina, um, later reported that her dad quietly made plans to go back to Curlin in 1842 and was only prevented by his death. So evidently his stance on spiritual wifery caused a lot of tension in the Smith family, as you can see with her cousin. But Joseph F. Smith was, a firm, was firm in the opinion that Don Carlos was in fact a supporter of the practice of polygamy. And he and, I, he and Ina never saw eye to eye. They just would write letters and get mad at each other, so. <laughs> mm -hmm. So while working in a damp cellar, Don Carlos caught sick and he passed away on August 7th of 1841 and he was only 25 years old. So really, really young. 
Yeah. Um, according to his daughter, who was just five months old at the time, so she would have no way of knowing except for her mother telling her, she says that her father made one final request to Joseph Smith. He said, Joseph, I want you to, for the rest of your life, be an honest man. And yet her cousin, Joseph F. Smith, who was only two years old, so he also wouldn't know. He wouldn't know, but he called the story a contemptible, he called the story contemptible in its falsity. And in the Temple Lot case in 1893, Marianne Sheffield gave testimony that Agnes did indeed become Joseph's plural wife. And it was also reported that her husband said she wished her to marry Joseph and she did so. So there's controversy whether whether Don Carlos gave Agnes to Joseph or whether that just happened. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't know that last part, but I did. I did read a lot about the story of her, of Don Carlos saying to Joseph that his one, his like dying wish would be that he would be an honest man. Which makes sense to me because mm -hmm. Joseph's got a lot of um, problems and stuff in his going life. on right now. Yeah. <laughs> right now, like he's us. Yeah. yeah. So one thing that I think is super interesting is that when they write these things down, it's in code, and so they have it has to be deciphered in order to figure mm -hmm. out polygamy. Because I know there's a group of people that believe that Joseph never was a polygamist. In fact, someone today on TikTok was like, "Joseph wasn't a polygamist. Like it was just Brigham, and that's not mm -hmm. true." Yeah. We have comments on our podcast too. So like if the church, if that were true, the church would have backed, would have used its 200 million to prove <laughs> that, that was the case. That Joseph wasn't yeah. like, I don't see any way around that. But mm -hmm. anyway, so on January 6th of 1842, this is just five months after Carlos had died. Brigham Young wrote a journal entry in Masonic code that reads, I was taken in the lodge to Jay Smith was Agnes's. So was is code for wedded and sealed to. Mm -hmm. So that was, that's really interesting to me. And then in Joseph's own journal, he writes on the same day, he says, truly, this is a day long to be remembered by the saints of the last days, a day in which the God of heaven has begun to restore the ancient order of his kingdom unto his servants and his people, a day in which all things are, are concurring together to bring about the completion of the fullness of the gospel. So it sounds like he's just talking about, I got married to Agnes and this is a polygamies of God and, this is a restoration or part of that rest restoring of this ancient order. So, so the Levite marriage okay. in the Old Testament, they there's this law in the Old Testament where if your brother dies, or if your brother dies and the wife is single, you take mm -hmm. the wife, take care of her, and then whatever seed you have with, like you do it to build up your brother's seed, the one who's passed away. Mm -hmm. so Joseph was this. This is why, as a missionary, like oh, this is from the Old Testament. This makes sense. Like you're just taking care of her because she's your, your family. She's got your nieces and nephews. Mm -hmm. That's what Joseph was doing. And that's why he was. So, yeah. So I feel like you told me that that means that the the, the second husband who who's married his brother's wife um, then is giving his brother seed. So even though he's definitely the one fathering these children, he thinks of them mm -hmm. as brother's that's, children that's my understanding so his own yeah. are, his own kids with his sister-in-law are the brother-in-law's children so yeah so like in heaven those kids would be sealed to the his brother and and brigham young does, says that same thing actually later on oh okay he so he continues that narrative Dang. that yeah. like the um joseph smith's wife that he marries he also says will be joseph joseph's kids in the eternities okay yeah because that's another thing that plays into here as well which you'll see is that 
when when women are sealed to Joseph and they have a, an existing husband, their kids with this existing husband all go to Joseph. So so not only is Joseph taking other wives, he's taking their children. Because the in the doctrine of Mormonism, the more wives you have and the more kids you have, the higher your exaltation will be. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. Taking my wife and child. <laughs> yes. Okay, so this is where this is where Emma finds out more about Joseph's polygamy. So within this story of Agnes becoming a plural wife of Joseph, oh yeah, we see this difficulty. So, um, so as the president, she had heard a rumor from a woman named Clarissa Marvel. She had, Clarissa had accused Joseph, or no, Clarissa had said that Joseph was married to Agnes. And then, so Emma says, uh, she, she announced that Clarissa Marvel was accused of telling scandalous falsehoods on the character of President Joseph Smith without the least provocation. And she asked if the, the Relief Society members would, um, investigate and would interview her and call her to repentance. But Agnes, who doesn't really know what's going on, she says, I know Clarissa and she's a really good person. She's really honest. But Emma's like, I don't care. We're going to do this anyway. So she moves forward with interviewing Clarissa because she's made this accusation about Joseph and Agnes. Anyway, I'm confused. So um, Clarissa says, Agnes is married to Joseph. And then Emma's like, she's lying. And Agnes is like, oh, no, she's totally telling the truth. But she's the one yeah. who said that she's married to Joseph. Yeah. So, and I'm sure Emma didn't like hearing that because Agnes is her sister-in-law. So she's like, I don't like any of this. Yeah. So. <laughs> she just like, did your heart just break every time for Emma? Like, well, oh. all women, like she's having to keep, you're having to keep lies and it gets worse. So and your husband is lying to you. I know. Like, your husband is lying to you. Yeah. So oh, anyway. Yeah. So a yeah, woman totally. named... A woman named Hannah Markham was um, asked to interview Clarissa and she found her innocent of any wrongdoing. And then Sarah Cleveland, who was the second counselor of Emma, she moved that Elizabeth Durfee and Elizabeth Allred investigate the persons who had accused um, Clarissa, who was Laura Jones and Hannah Burgess. However, both Sarah Cleveland and Elizabeth Durfee were probably at this time already plural wives of Joseph because they both became his wives in June of the same year. Mm -hmm. So Elizabeth Durfee was reluctant to pursue um, this whole thing because she was like, I'm also a polygamous wife of Joseph, but I'm interested. And then three days after this whole meeting, uh, Clarissa Marvel signed the following statement. She says, this is to certify. And I feel like this is very carefully worded. Yeah. <laughs> that I never have at any point, time or place seen or heard anything improper or unvirtuous in the conduct or conversation of either president Smith or Mrs. Agnes Smith. I also certify that I have never, that I never have reported anything derogatory to the characters of either of them. So these words that she's carefully using, you can get around it because if they think that polygamy is of God and it's the higher law, then mm -hmm. what she's saying is true because it's not improper, it's not unvirtuous, and it's not derogatory, even though right. it is. <laughs> yeah, even though it is. Yeah. And, and you see Joseph playing that same game around this time where, no, he's not polygamous. But he is, he, he, he does have, um, celestial wife, wifery or whatever he be yeah. like, call it different words or like, you know, say, well, no, this is eternal polygamy. Like this is something different than just so that polygamy word that's thrown around in everyday talk, you know? Yeah. yeah very he's, he's doing the same thing all over the place. So 
it, it just is i just hate this whole thing yeah. i hate this whole thing playing you know playing a part to the public and then um can selling lies and then telling people to lie for you it just doesn't doesn't work for me yeah i know we're not talking about it today but it just is very reflective of the current church right now <laughs> like we'll tell you guys one thing we'll do something else and then we'll ask you guys we'll ask our other leaders to lie for us so yeah yeah a lot of that a lot of that yeah okay so this is the the third smith that agnes marries this is joseph smith's mm -hmm. cousin uh, so mm -hmm. after Joseph had died, George Albert Smith takes her to as a wife. And then he, when the saints move to Utah, he, she's, Agnes is basically left behind. So, In Nauvoo. Um, I can't remember where they were at the time. At the time. I think it was Nauvoo. I think that's where he passed away. George, George is the one that uh, changes the um, women from having the priesthood. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah, he like he's the one in the history books that rewrites them. <laughs> yeah, good old George. George good old George. <laughs> okay. Okay. So this theme of abandonment happens all throughout the rest of Agnes's life. So, so it was unfortunate that Joseph and Don Carlos died, but then she was abandoned just circumstantially. And then with George moving to Utah with the Saints, Agnes was again abandoned. And then in the spring of 1847, Agnes found a fourth husband who was unfortunately an alcoholic. And he abandoned her uh, all the time, like on and off, on and off. He was just in and out of the house and moving all over the place. And then he finally leaves them in 1870 in California. He just is gone. He just never comes back. So this is just heartbreaking because when you're, I mean, I guess this could have happened to anybody, but like to me, it just sort of sits heavy with polygamy. I feel like a lot of the, a lot of these wives feel this abandonment because their husbands take on other wives. They're constantly leaving and she's just alone to take care of herself. So. Yeah. And that's the story of so many of them. Yes. That's what's so heartbreaking. So heartbreaking and so empowering at the same time, what all those women did alone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. We hear about Patty Sessions. I like her. She yeah. Okay. So this is another thing I this throughout this whole podcast, there's like a theme of Joseph F. Smith, I think. Um, mm. But in a letter to Joseph F. Smith, Agnes wrote, Agnes herself, she says, I could say more things to you, to, to you, Joseph, that I know that has been told me by those who are dead and gone, but perhaps you would not believe me. No, I know that you would not. So it is best for me to keep silent. So like here, mm -hmm. she's almost like she's hinting that your dad's a polygamist and I'm one of his wives, but, but you don't believe that. So anyway, why waste my breath? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then in, in 1876, David and Alexander Smith, two of Joseph Smith's sons, who are now both part of the anti-polygamist reorganized Latter-day Saint church. So none of Joseph's kids stayed at the church. They all left. So they came and visited their aunt Agnes and they had no idea that they're, that she was married to Joseph. And then according to Lucy Walker, who is another of Joseph's wives, Agnes told them that what they had seen and heard in Salt Lake was truth, that those women were their father's wives and it was useless to prom to promulgate falsehood to the world and advise them to de desist. David was struck dumb and Alexander said he would not take anybody's word, not even Aunt Agnes. So they're like, we don't care. They're literally, she's literally telling them and they're, they don't care. Which is funny because they, that's their whole yeah. plan, right? Yeah. That's their whole plan, right? To go and talk to all these people and, you know, 
see if he was or not. And he talked to all these people that, you know, weren't related to them. And they said yes. And they're like, we're not going to believe you. I think and then they finally get to their aunt. And she's oh, like, yeah. I'm going to tell you the same thing. Yeah, Joseph Smith III, know. like, he went out, too, and was gathering those affidavits. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So so I just wanted to know, this isn't, like, super important, but Ina, so Agnes's daughter, Ina, or Josephine, she became a poet. And she married, mm-hmm. another interesting thing is she married a very abusive husband who nearly killed her. There's a there's a really dramatic, traumatic story mm-hmm. about how he's, um, like, knocking on the door, and he's, like, trying to, he's got a gun, and it's just really traumatizing but so they divorced and then she spent the rest of her life taking care of and being with her mom and then she ended up working at a library which she sadly later called her prison but she she knows she knows a lot of writers um she knows like jack london and mark twain and a bunch of other different people but but she was like the first she was the first female poet to be recognized in california wow and um it it um is sad to me um, like knowing Agnes's story that she was not only, um, had an abusive husband later on in life, but with an alcoholic father that was there and then left and then there and then left. And you've got to maybe consider that, that those were abusive, you know, times for her also. Yes. So, um, it's, it's hard to, I don't know. It's just hard. <laughs> it's just, it's just all hard to kind of think of their lives, but then also think of how strong they were and what they accomplished for themselves. Yeah. So I'm, I'm happy that she was recognized in California for her poetry. Um, yeah. Yeah. There, there are a few times where Joseph F. Smith's like, "Hey, you guys should come back to Utah," and she's like, "No." Like, <laughs> I look for, but she, they refuse to come back. She's like, "If I have any sense left in me, we're never coming back to Utah." So. Yeah, he did not believe in Mormonism. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so this is so I had to say early. This is early uh, February eighteen forty two because he marries two women in this year. So, and then also I wanted to point out because I like to know what's happening. in this month. Uh, in this month, yeah. Oh, sorry, that's the year. So in the same month he marries two women. So at the beginning of this month, Emma has a stillborn son. They never name him. Um, so that must have been really hard, just imagining what Emma's going through. And then at the same time as she's losing his child. He immediately takes another wife. So, you know, you know, <laughs> as I'm just going to put this out there. I'm just, I'm just going to put this out there that, you know, there's like conspiracy theories that like Emma had Joseph arrested that last time that he went to Carthage jail. Like there's these theories that are out there that she kind of helped that happen. And sometimes I'm like, good for you. <laughs> like, if that is true, good for you. Because everything he was doing while she was suffering, he deserved to go to jail. <laughs> like, he deserved for that whole thing to happen. You know, I wouldn't go as far as to say he deserved to be murdered. But he definitely needed some, needed a pause. Right, right. He can't in his life. In, in jail. So maybe that's what. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I, I see if that were true, that would make sense to me. Like, you need to pause for a second, mm-hmm. go and like be accountable for some of the things that you're doing because you're not getting it. Like, yeah. in this normal everyday life that we're living, you're not getting it. 
like I'm having babies and they're dying and you're out having sex and marrying all these other women, she has to feel so alone and like shattered. I just, it's so hard sometimes to think, put yourself in her shoes. Yeah, for sure. Well, so many of them, but for her right now. Yeah. I think it's different because everyone had, everyone was sort of had sort of informed consent. They're like, oh, I'm married. You know, I'm married. I'm going to marry you, Joseph. But Emma has no clue that this is happening. Yeah. And that's okay with what, what God you, you, uh, you know, are okay with. Like that was my whole shattering, my whole shattering. There is no God that I would believe in that was okay with that. When I found that out there, I did not sign up for that. (laughs) And so I feel, I feel her, I feel, cause she lived it like, and she didn't sign up for that. Yeah. So. Okay. Sylvia, Sylvia sessions. So Sylvia is, um, uh, one, the one only confirmed daughter of the only confirmed uh, mother daughter pair. So her mother, Patty, is married to Joseph later, um, and we will get to her story. It's really hard to kind of separate their stories. Um, Todd Compton tells them together they're intertwined, so we just (laughs) tried. Um, Okay, so yeah, as we're going to learn from Patty's story, so Sylvia was one of three children that survived of her parents, Patty and David Sessions. We're going to learn about her early life later. So she joined the Saints with her family. They were converted in 1834. Um, they made the trek from all the way from Maine, all the way to Missouri. And they built a new home um, with their parents in Far West. She was married at the age of 19 to Windsor P. Lyon, who seemed to be a good guy. Um, he, uh, Joseph Smith actually performed the ceremony and Windsor practiced medicine as an army physician. So he's a, a doctor, sort of. <laughs> um, shortly thereafter, um, they fled with the saints to or from Missouri to Illinois as uh, with the rest of the Mormons. Um, so Peregrine is actually um, Sylvia's brother and Patty's first son. And he actually comes into play a lot in their story. He's like a very dedicated son is there all the time. Um, and, and along with that, he wrote in his journal all the time and a lot. And so did Patty. That's why we have so much information about the saints actually is both of those two wrote a lot in their journals. So um, anyway, so Peregrine said about this fleeing Missouri, the weather was cold and we had a tent by the way. This tried our souls. When we would pass through towns and villages, they would holler at us and ask us where our old Joe Smith was or our Mormon God and where we were going and threaten us with death. And some they whipped nearly to death. Here, women and children traveled on foot until they wore their shoes out and went barefoot when you could track them by blood on the prairies. So yeah, that's pretty horrifying. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So while they lived in Nauvoo, um, Windsor uh, was he was the first to construct a major building in Nauvoo. One side was their home, the other side was his mercantile and drug business. Um, their first child was born here, named Marion. Uh, the next year, she had a second daughter named Philophrine, which is quite a name. Yes, <laughs> from Marianne to Philophrine. Yeah. So we don't have like a lot of documentation on Sylvia's marriage to Joseph Smith. Um, She was 23 
Um, she was sealed for time only, which is going to come into play later. Um, not much is known about this polyandrous marriage. Um, later, she claims on her deathbed that Josephine was a product of it. We'll hear her quote about that later. Um, we don't know what Windsor's reaction to it was. So he either had, knew about it and permitted it or um, didn't know about it at all. And it's not a, really clear, but he later is aware that she's sealed to um, Joseph Smith and Heber C. Kimball. And he's aware of it and he has his own second wife later. So, but at this time, we don't know how he feels about it. Um, so uh, I got really, really into these stories. So I'm sorry if I'm dumping like a lot of information. on. No, I love it. So their first child, Marion Lyon, died in 1842. I thought this was an interesting story. Her brought her body was brought to Smith while he was preaching to a large group near the temple, and he changed his topic to speak about the salvation of children. He did not try to raise her from the dead. He didn't do anything else. I he wonder if that's he gave his famous speech salvation. where he talked about children, like literal children sitting on thrones. And I wonder if oh. I wonder what year he gave that. You should look that up. 1842. That, that would not surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> now, what's interesting is because um, Sylvia was sealed to Joseph Smith, she, or Marion, the baby, was now technically yeah. sealed to Joseph Smith, not Windsor and the attorneys. Um, and then later, um, I don't know how many years later, Windsor was actually ex excommunicated for suing a stake president in the church, with that, which I thought was a pretty funny story. Wait, can you tell the story? Okay, so um, basically, Windsor loaned this stake president like $3,000, something like that, some amount of money. And then the stake president was supposed to pay him back, um, but he wasn't paying him back. Either he couldn't or he wouldn't. It's not for sure. And Windsor started to then have his own financial um, problems because he needed that $3,000 to pay that he owed. So he was starting to go bankrupt. So he sued the stake president for, for the money. And then the stake president, because this is all, you know, like Nauvoo or wherever, this is all church people. Stake president went to the church and was like, we need to excommunicate him. He is suing me and he is making me look bad. And so they excommunicated him for <laughs> suing the stake president. So, and then Winter That's said, awesome. Yeah. Winter uh, and um, but they went ahead and excommunicated him. But what was interesting was that he continued to like show up in the, in like, he was just around still, even though he was excommunicated. So like it didn't do much. To I feel like that was a common thing. Like people would be excommunicated and rebaptized or disfellowshipped and reinstated all the time. Yeah. And he was rebaptized later. Yeah. Well, there's a, there's that story of, was it William Law? Where, Joseph is like, well, if polygamy comes out in the open, then I'll just excommunicate you. And then like, then I'll just, we'll just baptize you again and then reinstate you to like your position or higher. Like, oh, yeah. just so we can like go with the lie, you know, we can make it yeah. seem like, I don't know. There's so many things out there. Yeah, that's shady. <laughs> it's really shady. But I, they did that a lot. Oh yeah. And then rebaptisms for, yeah, for whatever, re like for random reasons. Like mm -hmm. he baptizes, rebaptizes faithful people. And so that's interesting to me too. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Windsor passed away in 1846 from tuberculosis. Um, he was a polygamist at the time. He had taken on a second wife. 
Uh, when Windsor died, Sylvia wrote to her brother in Utah to come and collect her and her children to join the Saints. I thought this was a funny story. However, upon his arrival, it took him like three months to get there. Um, he found that she was just about to get married to a non-Mormon named Ezekiel Clark. So her brother was disappointed, but probably gave her away to her husband. Um, one positive for him is that he got to take their brother, David Jr., back to Utah with him. He convinced him to go with him. So it wasn't a total wasted trip. <laughs> Three, months. Three months trip across the plains. So uh, Sylvia and Ezekiel, her technically third husband um but really i mean really is the second husband i don't know it's complicated um they had one child together uh, sylvia's lion children did not live long the only child left was josephine and she thought she was actually joseph's child so she thought she had no um children of windsor um left over they all died um i don't, I don't remember how many that was but it was like three or four um um, later, Ezekiel helped Sylvia's brother to bring them to Utah. Um, so she, he actually thought she was going to go for like a year. So he, he bought them a carriage. He paid for them to go, like all of that kind of a thing. Um, but as soon as she got there, Sylvia put roots down. And then when Ezekiel realized that she wasn't planning on coming back, he went after her, but he could not convince her to come back. So she stayed there with um two daughters and a son and he said okay like probably he was very heartbroken about it because he didn't want he didn't want to be married to her but um he allowed her to stay with his three kids and then he said just please send perry to me perry was the son um when he's old enough and i will get him an education which she did do she sent him he, he got a really good education in New England somewhere. So, and then the good news is he. So when no, not Windsor. Ezekiel did remarry and had another family, um, but he always still cared about his daughters that were in Utah and left them big dowries mm -hmm. when yeah, they married. So, so. it's not very nice. Yeah. We just abandoned her. Husband. Yeah, she just abandoned him without telling him. Yeah, so. I thought that was really. I I read that too that he kept supporting his daughters. Like he would send yeah. money. He and sounds like I, a really good guy. Yeah, he does. Sylvia is one of the best evidences we have that Joseph did have sexual relations with his wives, um, because so on her deathbed in 1882, Josephine uh, Sylvia tells her daughter Josephine. Um, she says she desired to tell me something which she had kept as an entire secret from me and from all others, but which she now desired to communicate to me. She then told me that I was the daughter of the prophet Joseph Smith. She having been sealed to the prophet at the time that her husband, Mr. Lyon was out of, dis out of fellowship with the church. So DNA evidence shows that Josephine was indeed Windsor's daughter. So that kind of doesn't line up. Um, there's Todd Compton talks about, there's probably two reasons that she said this because technically um, at the time that, that Josephine would have been um, created, Mr. Lyon was not out of fellowship with the church. So either she said this to kind of like cover her tracks and like make it make sense. Like, oh, well, I was married to Joseph because he wasn't a member of the church. And like, that makes sense, right? Or um, she was actually implying, well, I was only having sex with Joseph because um, Mr. Lyon was not um, fellowship in the church, which actually does line up with the timeline. Um, so it's, I mean, the wording is really hard to interpret, but those are kind of the, the two options there. Either way, she did believe that Josephine was uh, Joseph's daughter. 
So mm -hmm. they were having sex. Yeah. Unless she doesn't know how babies work. No. <laughs> Guessing she does. <laughs> With all the children that she had. Oh, yeah. And her mother was a midwife. So, uh, so she knows. She knows. <laughs> okay, so, that. so same month, same month that he takes Sylvia, same month that his wife, they lose their child. He may, marries another woman. So. Okay. Uh, so this is Mary Elizabeth Rollins, uh, Leitner Smith Young. And I think her story is one of my favorites just because it's it's kind of entertaining to me, I guess. Um, so there's a clip that I wanted to show to set the stage a little bit because, so there's a clip from 2009 of, of um, Uchtdorf talking about soulmates and what he thinks of soulmates. So this is a prophet of God giving his opinion on soulmates. I'm so lonely. Will I ever find my soulmate? End of quote. I have a number of things I want to say on this subject, but let's start with the concept of finding the one person you were meant to be with, the one person who is perfect for you. I know this may be a disappointment for some of you, but I don't believe there's only one right person for you. That magic sparkle needs continuous polishing. When the magic endures in relationship, it's because the couple made it happen, not because it mystically appeared due to some cosmic force. Frankly, it takes even work. For any relationship to survive, both parties bring their own magic with them and use that to sustain their love. Although I have said that I do not believe in a one and only soulmate for anyone, I do know this. Once you commit to being married, your spouse becomes your soulmate. And it is your duty and responsibility to work every day to keep it that way. Once you have committed, the search for a soulmate is over. Okay, so this is, so I'm pretty sure at this time, Uchtdorf is still one of the top three. I don't think he's been demoted yet. But so here he's, so he could be just giving his opinion, but I think that's a, he's saying that he doesn't believe that soulmates are a real thing. Like as soon as you get married, that's your soulmate. But then we see with Mary Elizabeth that this is not at all what Joseph Smith believed. This is just, yeah, I don't, I just thought that was really interesting because the prophets now are saying that's not real, but Joseph's, the founder is, yeah. Okay. What, what exactly did he say, Julia? Remind me. Uchtdorf, he says that he's like, I don't believe in soulmates and the person. No, Joseph. Oh, Joseph. Well, we, we'll get there. Oh, okay. I'm like, well, I don't remember what he said. Yeah, no, he lists okay. it all off. So, okay. Yeah. So Mary Elizabeth was born April 9th of 1818, about 20 miles from Palmyra. So really close to Joseph. So Mary had an older brother and a younger sister. So this one's a smaller family. Her father died in a shipwreck when she was two and a half years old. And after his death, they moved into the, they moved into a Gilbert, the Gilbert family home in Ohio. So, and while they were there, they began hearing rumors of the Book of Mormon. And then Mary was baptized in November of that year by Parley P. Pratt in a stream near the Isaac Morley farm when she was 12. And what, uh, this is a fun story that I wanted to add in here. So Isaac Morley, he got a Book of Mormon and he, but Mary saw it and she was like, I really want to read this book. 
Um, but he was like, I'm, I'm going to read it. And so she's like, well, can I just borrow it for this one night? And then I'll get as far as I can and I'll give it back to you because you, you're going to meeting anyway. So he's like, sure, fine. So she has it that whole night and she reads all of First Nephi and she even memorizes um, First Nephi 1-1. And then the next day when she's giving him the book back, she she summarizes all of First Nephi. She quotes the first verse and he was like, child, take this book home and finish it. I can wait. And I just all thought right. that was really fun because it shows that she was like with Zina, she didn't even read it before becoming a believer in it. So I just appreciate Mary Liz <laughs> yeah. willing to at least read it. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> So in, she and, get to the part about the murder? She must have gotten to that. <laughs> anyway, so in early February of 1831, Joseph came and visited the Gilbert home where they were staying, and he sees the Book of Mormon. He's like, "Oh, this is not. This is kind of unusual for it to be here in Ohio because it, it was still circulating, like in just a small area." And so he, they told him that they're like, Mary was really enthusiastic about this Book of Mormon, and he was like, "Oh, can I meet her?" And then Mary writes, I was sent for when he saw me, he looked at me so earnestly, I felt almost afraid. And I thought he can read my every thought. And I thought how blue his eyes were. After a moment or two, he came to put his hands on my head and he gave me a blessing. The first I ever received and made me a present of the book. I just thought that was an interesting first encounter. Does that give you a different feeling? Yeah. Like, because <laughs> it gave me a creepy. Yeah. Like he's pedophile. <laughs> which is which is yes keep that thought hold that thought because okay. so yeah so the he she's afraid at first and then he puts his hands on her head i don't it doesn't sound like she, it was consensual it just was that just felt really weird but yeah this yeah and he was like earnestly looking at her yeah she's like Whoa. so much that she knew the color of his eyes and yeah yeah and this is 1831 when she first meets him so anyway, which is Fanny Alger time oh, yeah. and age. Yeah. But we'll, yeah. Okay. So one thing, another story that I, that I wanted to add in here is that Mary Elizabeth, when she was young, when she was 13, she had this gift of interpreting um, the gift of tongues or glossolalia. Um, and so there was one point where the brethren were all speaking in tongues and they invited her in and she interpreted mm -hmm. it. And she, the interpretation was that the saints would be driven out from Jackson, Missouri. And a lot of the brethren were like, no, 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 that's not going to happen. And we don't believe that. And then they tell Joseph and Joseph's like, no, that's that's really what's going to happen. And then uh, Mary recalls, she says that the that the interpretation of tongues is given to the priesthood. But since they hadn't asked for it, it fell upon her shoulders. And so she spent some time um, doing this interpretation. But then after after this next move, she says the gift leaves her and she's not able to interpret tongues anymore. So I just thought that was really interesting. I don't really know yeah, what's going on there mentally, but I don't know. I'm just, I'm starting to like wonder what was in her blessing. Oh yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> what said in her blessing. So this is another interesting story. This Mary Elizabeth is just full of interesting stories to me. So governor Boggs, so Han, um, so Mary Elizabeth was working with Peter Whitmer, who was one of the uh, uh, family of the witnesses. Um, and so he was a tailor and she worked for him and she became a, a well-known seamstress. And then Lilburn Boggs had just become, he'd just been elected um, lieutenant governor. And so he asked Peter to fix his suit. And so she went over to the Boggs' home and she she put the collar on, she fixed the face of the coat and stuff like that. And the Boggs loved her. They 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 really liked her and they tried to get her to leave the church, but she was like, no, 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 I'm, I'm a Mormon. <laughs> and then interestingly, this is skipping ahead a little bit in the timeline, but in 1837, after Boggs had become the governor, the state militia came to far west and they were trying to drive the Mormons out. 
But Boggs is like, spare two families. And he says one of them was the Lightners. So I'm sure that mm -hmm. had to do with his friendship with Mary Elizabeth. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there's another famous story that happens in the church where the mob comes and they're ransacking this building and they are getting rid of the Book of Commandments. They're like, hey, let's destroy this whole thing. And this hadn't been printed yet. So this was, this was like the only copies of this. And so these girls, um, Mary and her sister Caroline, went and grabbed them, grabbed these pages while the mob wasn't paying attention. And they run off to this cornfield and they lay down and the mob like comes to search for them and they get really close, but they don't see the girls. And then afterwards they go to the printer's wife and hand her all these pages. And she's like, oh my gosh, this is so great. And um, so it, that was just a fun story that, that involves Mary Elizabeth when she was still pretty young. Do you, okay, question for you. Is there a story like this about the Book of Mormon? Or is it just this story in the Book I of Commandments? Think, I think it's just this one. I don't recall because the Book of Mormon happened pretty, was published pretty quickly. Like, yeah, so this story was always taught to me that they that was the Book of Mormon. Oh, interesting. It was like the first copies of the Book of Mormon that were going to be burnt when they like were ransacking the printing press and the girls stole some of it and ran out into the field it was always told to me it was the book of mormon not the book of commandments now you're making me wonder like did i read it wrong but i'm pretty sure it's book of commandments because this is 1833 and the book of commandments was published in this same year i believe and then mm -hmm. the doctrine of covenants was 1835 when was the book of mormon published 1830 so she i don't even think she was a yeah. yeah, no, I'm just, I'm like, that's so weird that this story was like, hmm, interesting. Okay. Okay, so so marriage. So when she was 17 years old, she married a non-member named Adam Leitner, who was 25. And then the following year, Mary had her first child, Miles Henry, and then she had her second child, Caroline, in 1840. And by, this is an interesting thing also, is by Mary's own account, she started having dreams of becoming Joseph's polygamous wife. And I'm wondering if she's hearing rumors and Emma's hearing rumors and she's like kind of stressed that this is going to happen to her. And I don't think mm -hmm. this is like, I, I feel like she was probably getting special attention from Joseph and, and uh, we can see this later. You'll see this in a second. But so I'm wondering if she had a good reason to, to, be to have these dreams mm -hmm. to have. Right. So she says, I had been dreaming for a number of years that I was his wife and I thought I was a great sinner. And I prayed to God to mm -hmm. take it from me because Joseph's married and she's married and this is, so she probably felt really bad, but, yeah. but then Joseph proposes to her in February of 18 of this year of 1842. So this is where, this is where I am confused by, I don't want to say confused, but so Uchtdorf says no soulmates. And then here in this slide, Joseph is saying there are soulmates. So after, so Joseph, after Joseph taught Mary about polygamy, he told her that God had instructed him to marry her in 1834, but she had, he had been in Kerlin and she was in Missouri. And in 1834, she was only 16 years old. So this is like just a few years after all these things were happening. And then Mary recalls Joseph saying, the angel came to me three times between the year 34 and 42. And I said I was and said I was to obey the principle or, or he would destroy me. Joseph said I was his before I came here. And he said all the devils in hell should not get get me from him. And, he's, and he also said I was created for him before the foundation of the earth was laid. So. Mary also recalls, no human being can tell my feelings on this occasion. She says, my faith in him as a prophet about failed me. She says, I could not sleep and scarcely eat. So she's, 
this is very much very common for people first hearing about polygamy is they're like, this is bad. This is bad. I don't feel comfortable. And then they're, they're convinced that it's okay. So. Yeah. Yeah. Plus he's telling her, I'm just thinking of the dates. 1834. Well, if she's, um, if she's quoting him correctly and he is telling her that the angel came three times, like the first time being in 1834, that was after Fanny Alger. Mm -hmm. Um, and they would have been about the same age, right? 16 at the time. Yeah. Because Fanny that was, was really, yeah, that's yeah, really 15. Yeah. But also like, this is like, it just reminds me of Zina cause, cause the angel, I think came into play with her as well. And I can't remember and maybe another one. Well, uh, Emma, <laughs> so many angels with things that are gonna destroy people yeah it's just it just is like it feels very groomy um because it is yeah i mean at least she's not 16 when he's approaching her but to backdate it that far like i but then to tell her you know this has been in the world to me you. since you were that yeah. age is still creepy yeah it's it's not for like eight years he's been watching her whatever yeah mm -hmm. yeah not okay okay so so this is my favorite story uh, one of my favorite stories in polygamy so <laughs> joseph after joseph told mary the angel's instruction that he married her mary's like well if god's sending you an angel why can't god confirm this to me as well so, like so agree agree yeah yeah she <laughs> could be getting something so um, I don't know if I want to read this whole thing, but maybe I'll just sum up. So, so she says that she retired to bed one night. She says she's really troubled. And then she lays down and she's with her aunt. They're sharing the same bed. And then she sees this light and she thinks that the hearth, some of the fire has spit out and the hearth's kind of on fire. So she leans up to see, and then she sees this angel standing there. And she describes him as very, very bright, very beautiful. She's like brighter than anything she's ever seen. And then she was scared. She's like, I'm going to die of fear. So she falls back into bed, covers her face and tries to shove her aunt awake. But her aunt doesn't wake up and she and then eventually this angel leaves. So, yeah. <laughs> and then there's another another place she describes it even in even more detail. She says just before this, she is praying and she's like, I'll just pray like Moses does, where he holds his hands up. Um, it kind of reminds me of the temple, which hasn't really come into play yet. But mm -hmm. so she's like, if I lift my hands up and pray, God can answer me. And then she retells the story of this angel coming and the angel in this version, the angel like leans over her and she um, is also scared. And then she, her aunt does wake up and she sees the figure go out the window. And which I thought was really interesting because normally, yeah, mm -hmm. normally with Joseph, they come in a, like a shaft or a pillar of light and, and not out windows, but anyway. <laughs> I just am so I don't believe anything. You heard it. I like have my little like theories about everything that pops up now. Yeah, yeah. It's just so he goes out a window. The angel goes out a window. But also he doesn't or see a man that was dressed in a white robe with the fire reflecting off of it goes out the window. Yeah, and like I, I feel like I lean towards that either that or she was having hallucinations because or having the sort of visions because she does this does happen later, um, but it's the well, angel doesn't speak at all. So yeah. I thought that was interesting. Like, yeah, and a lot of people. This is the time where like 
oh, I had a vision. Oh, I had a vision. Oh, I had oh, a yeah. vision. So you want to like have a vision. So you're part of the, you're included in yeah. what's everyone else is experiencing. Because if you're not doing it, like what's wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> it's kind yeah. of like that peer pressure or manipulation. We can yeah. use a lot of different words, but. So do you guys think the angel was in her head or do you think somebody snuck in dressed as a man or dressed as an angel? If you went out the window, <laughs> I would say it was a man. Well, like, so I would like, I, I'm mixed feelings. Cause like if the aunt herself gave an account, like, yes, I saw this angel, but she doesn't, it's just from Mary Elizabeth. Cause having two people see the same mm -hmm. person is not really likely in a vision. I mean, I guess if you're Joseph Smith and you're, I don't know, there's different things, but I am more inclined to say that it was an actual person. Um, but yeah, yeah um, so the next day he, Joseph comes to her and he's like, Hey, so have you had a witness yet? And she says, no. And he's like, well, that's weird. The angel expressly told me that you should have it. And then she says, I have not had a witness, but something really strange happened to me. And she says, an angel came and I was frightened to death and I didn't say anything. And then Joseph's like, why were you such a coward? And she's like, well, I was, weak. and he says, didn't you not think to say like, father, help me? Like, She's like, well, no. And he says, well, if you had said that, your mouth would have been open and you would have been able to speak to this angel. And he says, this angel had more wisdom and knowledge than I could have ever conveyed to you. And he says, um, in fact, it was an angel of light. Um, she says, if he was an angel of light, why didn't he speak to me? Which makes me think of like in the old or in the New Testament, the when an angel shows up, they say, fear not. That's usually their, that's like a, the angel's line. But this angel never spoke. And then Joseph's like, well, you covered your face and you insulted him. So and then she's like, will he ever come again? Joseph says, no, not the same one. But if you're faithful, you'll see greater things than that. So, so Joseph definitely climbed through her window because he knew that she covered her face. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. She could have told Yeah, me. that is interesting. <laughs> but yeah, like, how did you know? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and how would he know that this ah! angel wouldn't come? I, I don't know. There's, It's really fishy, this one. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> just, like, like all it's just like any respect is just like going <laughs> out like any I was like I because I have I have friends well you know family and friends that still believe but I also or and I also have very good amazing people that um believe in polygamy um believe in all of this that are um you know flds friends um friends that belong to a different um sect of the lds church etc cetera, etc cetera. and i'm just like i just like i I want to, I can love them and I can hold space for them. And at the same time, when they're, it's hard for me to listen to them praise Joseph Smith. It is, it's like, it's getting to the point where I know too much to even like try to have respect or like try to respect without speaking in a way um or trying to help them see my point of view 
Because usually I don't try to interject my choices or my views unless they ask me. But sometimes when, like, after podcasts like this or when researching things on my own, it's come to a point where it's it's hard for me. It's hard for me just because for me, I my empathy runs really deep <laughs> and I don't know what it is with me or um, the word empath has been used about me, but I just like, I can feel, I don't know. I just feel what I would expect the women in these situations to feel. And this even happens to me when I am hosting a podcast or co-hosting a podcast. If a person is telling me a story or I can relate in some way to them, even if it was a story of like their youth or anything, I feel deeply what they possibly were feeling at the time. And so for me, like I can't just accept all these stories and what happened to all these women because I also have so much empathy for Emma that like, I can't see, I can't hold Joseph there when what he's doing over here. Like it just, yeah. it, it just doesn't work for me. Yeah. Um, Cause it, when I'm listening to these stories, I'm like, no, like, like you're going to the lengths of, let's just pretend for a second that it is a person you're going to the lengths of, either yourself or someone else dressing up like an angel going into her room, not saying anything and then seeing her being so scared and then maybe seeing the aunt sleeping next to her and out the window you go, you know, and then you have a goal, goal the next day to say to her, Oh, it's you. It's not me. It's you, you know? Um, you weren't good enough. You weren't like prepared enough. You didn't say what you were supposed to know to say. Like the gaslighting is like craziness in like all of these stories that at some point you have, I don't know, Julia, I don't know. Like I, I, I like to think of Joseph as a pious fraud rather than like a, like a horrible person. But like hearing stories like this, just all of polygamy in general, like he, I hope that there was some degree of, he knew that it was wrong. Um, so I don't, I don't know how to hold space for that. Yeah. Like, but I'm kind of to, I'm kind of to a point where I'm done with men who are act one way towards people they need to impress, you know, like he plays the stick game out in public. He like oh, yeah. plays with the kids. He like you know, says, oh, no, no, I, I'm only, I only have one wife, you know, Emma over here to everyone else in the public, like puts on this persona of this amazing person. And then behind closed doors is like manipulating and gaslighting and going to these extremes to try and make someone believe his story and i think like it's just i don't know i think i'm to a point where i'm like sorry 
I kind of turned this into like really uh, like not liking Joseph right now, but that's, you know, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm kind of where I'm at. Like, I just, I, you know, I, when someone is like this behind closed doors and another way out in public, is just not going to work for me. Like, I just can't do it anymore. Um, it happens over and over and over and over to people. Yeah. And I'm so, I'm so done. I think I might just be all just done with patriarchy in, yeah. in general. <laughs> so maybe that's where I'm at right now. I'm too like, I'm too like an angry stage of this roller coaster of deconstruction. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I don't get to angry stages very often. I actually can only think of one other time I was actually got angry about stuff, but man, it's just so not okay. And I don't, it, it's almost like, I don't even care if he did anything nice. Like, I don't even care if he was nice to some kid or there's this great story of him, like healing someone from the sick. I don't care because you did 7 million other hateful things over here. Yeah. So anyways, that's my rant for this day. Um, I'll, I'll keep it. Uh, I'll keep myself on mute down low now so you can get through the rest of the slides <laughs> but that's my that's jen two cents for you on patriarchy and double-faced people yeah um in history so well anytime to be honest yeah so all right julia i'm muting my mic Okay, so um, in February of 1842, Joseph and Mary Elizabeth now went to the upper room of the, Red, the Smith Redbrick store in the Masonic Hall, and the marriage were, was performed for time and all eternity. And Mary was 23 years old and pregnant with their third child by Adam Leitner during the ceremony. Adam was out of town, far away at the time, and he probably didn't know anything about it. And another thing that I thought with, with them, it's happened with a couple of his wives, with Zina also, to marry women who are pregnant. And I, um, I feel like he would do that because, um, he's not going to get them pregnant because they're already pregnant. So like an extra statement. Yeah. Yeah. And then later Mary gave the reason she stayed with Mr. Leitner. She just said, I was just doing what Joseph told me to do. So I'm sure Adam loved her. I'm sure I hope that she would love him as well. But Joseph, it was, it was his pattern to keep the, the women who are already married to stay with their husbands. And that was not the case with Brigham or Heber C. Kimball or a bunch of other like Utah polygamists, they did not. It was just Joseph. Is that even better? Yeah, I think it's a little bit better. I think it's a little bit better, but like it's weird to try to like put more. Say it's better or not. Yeah, like <laughs> such a bad thing anyway. Yeah. yeah. It's a better experience for the wives because like, as you'll see when we yeah. get kids probably. Yeah, they, yeah. The women in the Utah polygamy suffered a lot more with loneliness. Yeah, yeah. for sure. For yeah. sure. Yeah. I and and I guess my empathy there went to the husbands. Oh yeah. Like, Gosh, he didn't even know that his wife was married. Yeah, like what are you doing, Joseph? Like really, what are you doing? Like just showing that you can. This was his what eighth wife at this yeah. point? And I guess just stop or pick someone else. Yeah, like, you know what I mean? 
Yeah, yeah. I don't know why he went for married women at all. Like, and but anyway, um, so another thing that Joseph told Mary, he says, I know that I shall be saved in the kingdom of God. I have the oath of God upon it, and God cannot lie. All that he gives me, I shall take with me, for I have that authority and that power conferred upon me. So he was essentially saying, Mary, if you marry me, then you'll be placed in the celestial kingdom with me just automatically. So sort of like a second anointing to marry Joseph Smith. You're just, it's just an automatic sort thing. of like manipulation. <laughs> yeah. Gaslighting <laughs> someone. <laughs> no, that's a bad idea. Um, so at one point, so this is another interesting story. So at one point, Adam got a job cutting wood, um, cutting, sorry, cordwood 15 miles, 15 miles up the river. And when Joseph heard out, found out about this, he like had a panic attack. He, he with tears streaming down his face, Jesus mm -hmm. says that he's prophesied that he, we attempted to leave the church, just leave physically. We would have plenty of sorrow for we would we would make property on the right hand and lose it on the left hand. We would have sickness on sickness, lose our children, and that I would have to work harder than I ever dreamed of. And at last, when we are worn out and almost ready to die, we will come back to the church. So so that's lovely. And then just before they moved, Joseph rebaptized them and he tried to get Adam to be baptized, but Adam was like, I don't feel worthy. I wonder if being baptized he could have convinced Adam to stay. In Nauvoo, but this to me also feels like Joseph wanted her to stay in close proximity, um, and now she was leaving. So, can, for convenience or sexual relations, who knows? So, and then, uh, yeah. So, um, after they moved, they they had a lot of hardships. One of Mary's children dies, and it was a really sad story. That at the funeral, just the two people who were digging the grave and the little child were the only people that showed up for this funeral. And then after the birth of her fourth child, another story is that the house was struck by lightning and then like everyone was, everyone passed out. And then, and then for a while, the family suffered fevers and chills. And then of course, in 1844, Joseph was killed in Carthage jail. And then after that, Mary had a dream. Uh, she dreamed of an angel and the angel said, go back to Nauvoo. So she did. And then after returning to Nauvoo, she received her endowment and joined the elite group of the Holy Order. And in the fall of 1844, Brigham proposed to her and she was sealed to him for time. So. She was sealed to him for time so Brigham could have sex with her and make more babies for Joseph, but like, he didn't really he didn't have to take care of her. Yeah. Like. <laughs> so and so she um actually so when the when the church left Nauvoo, Mary and Adam stayed behind. But Brigham had asked Mary if she wanted to leave the she's like, Do you want to come to Utah with the Saints? And she was like, Well, yeah, why wouldn't I? And then a few days later, however, Brigham just up and left without her. And she, this was really touching to me. So Mary wrote, I felt stunned. The thought came to me that polygamy was of the devil and Brigham knew it, or he would have cut off his right hand before he would have left me. I wept myself sick and felt to give up and go among the Gentiles. In fact, I felt as though I was like one in an open boat at sea without compass or rudder. Later, later Brigham Young did send her. He's like, hey, now can you come up? And uh, they were in poverty, so they had no way to afford to go. So she was just left behind. So, so this is another okay. interesting thing, is that uh, Mary continued to live, to have children with Adam, and their their family really struggled financially. And she even lost a few of her kids. But during this whole time, she kept asking the church leaders to help her. They're like, she's like, hey, um, I'm the prophets, the first prophets, wife like can you at least help me financially and then in, she asked john taylor in 1881 and he made this 
little plan that he would just like give her $16 a month and help her along. And then President Wilford Woodruff did the same thing. He pay, helped her pay off one of her debts and then gave her the $16 a month. And then in 1903, the money stopped coming and she she wrote to President Joseph F. Smith and she's like, hey, this has stopped. Can you please start it up again? And he was like, okay, that's fine. And as she, it was interesting that she noted, she's like, I am giving a lot of this financial help um, back to you guys in the form of tithing. So I thought that was really interesting because the church is, that feels, the church still does that. The, I feel like they, like I worked for the church. I was a, um, you even work for the church, BYU, Idaho. I, I was a, what is that custodian. called? Custodian. And so like they pay you, but then you have to give them money back as tithing. So it's just a weird thing that the church does. And then later she wrote, I did not feel recognized by the Smith family. And she even spoke to Joseph F. Smith again, um, or this, this is another moment of Joseph F. Smith where she says, I could tell you some things about your father, about his father that he does not know about the early days of the church, but I've never had the opportunity. I feel as if I have been spiritually neglected. So just a she's got secrets. Yeah, secrets. And then she mm-hmm. just feels abandoned. Oh, also, another interesting story uh, is that Heber C. Kimball said, Mary, before you die, you will see Joseph again. And then after Heber C. Kimball passed away, she had an experience where she felt like it was fulfilling this prophecy. She was sitting there on the porch and she's just rocking. And then she sees three men. It's Joseph, Hiram, and Heber C. Kimball. And they're they're floating above the ground. And they've got his, Joseph's in the middle. He's got his arms around them. And they're just laughing. And she's kind of startled. And uh, she she kind of reaches her hand out to try to shake their hands so she can see if they're really there. And they see her distress and they just start laughing. In fact, she says that Heber, she thought Heber was going to laugh himself to death, to kill himself laughing, which he's already dead. But anyway, so (laughs) then she says, trembling with joy, I arose, took a step forward and extended my hand. And they began fading away um, as if the going down of a sun, of the sun. So like she's having this vision of these three people who passed away. Um, uh, It also makes me wonder if if this story of the angel um, could have also just been a moment similar to this one, but who knows? Um, so the in total, Mary buried six of her ten children, and Adam, her husband, passed away in 1885. Mary outlived the first five presidents of the Latter-day Saint Church, the first two of whom had been husbands. She was the last of Joseph Smith's wives to die, and the only one, and only one of, and one of only four who would have lived into the 20, 20th century. So mm-hmm. that was interesting. So, yeah. So this is March of 1842. So this is the next month. And this is, we're going to talk about Patty Bartlett. Patty Bartlett Sessions, Smith Perry. (laughs) (laughs) I love that you did that. (laughs) Okay, Patty Bartlett. So Patty was um, Sylvia's mom. So this is, we're just going to talk about her early life. Um, So there's a lot of information on her. So her mother-in-law often acted as a midwife, and one day she was called for the mother, mother-in-law, but unable to travel quickly. So Patty went immediately in her place. She successfully delivered that baby, and the delivery apparently was done perfectly. When the doctor arrived, he congratulated her upon her ability and told her she would prosper as a midwife. So then she became a midwife, and so she would ride horseback as far as 20 miles to attend birth. Uh, she reportedly delivered 3,977 babies throughout her life. Um, she later delivered nine babies on the banks of the Mississippi River while traveling west with a pilot company sent by Brigham Young. So it's, cool. And it's like wow. wild circles in like three inches of snow. <laughs> nine, she did all nine that. Nine babies. On the, wow. On the Mississippi River. Yeah. What an amazing woman. 
Yeah. So she was one of 19 kids. So her father, um, when his first wife died, left him with 10 kids. He married Anna, 29. Her father, Enoch, was 53. Uh, so her mom was 29. Her dad was 53. Um, this was in 1794. And Patty was born the next year. She became the first of another set of nine kids. So the dad had 19 kids. All but one, Lavinia, who died at age two, lived to adulthood, married, and raised families, which is pretty that's, good. So, wow. Yeah, like, holy cow. This, this, yeah. That's impressive. Yes, yeah. it is. For that time. For yeah. that Everyone else's babies were not living and yeah. dying. Almost all of them. Yeah. Um, so because there's fewer boys and girls in the family, Patty often worked the fields with her father, um, which we will see um, really instilled a sense of um, you know, value in, in work in her, and she did that throughout her life. Um, Patty's son, Peregrine, wrote of her father. I just thought this was beautiful um, to compare to Mormonism. So he was not religious, but this is how she, how he um, portrayed his grandfather. My grandfather Enoch made no pretensions to religion and never belonged to any sect. He was a very liberal man to the poor and was honest and upright in all his deportment and taught his children to work and always to speak the truth, to deal justly with all, to live virtuous, and to not take that was not their own, not so much as an apple from a neighbor's tree without leave. Mm -hmm. like, I love you that. don't like, have to be Mormon to be a good person. Or, or even believe in God. To be yeah. Anyway. The good man. Yeah. Um. So Patty did give birth to seven children. Peregrine's, I don't know how, Sylvanus, Sylvanus, Sylvia, Anna, who died at two years old from cholera morbus, David, and then another girl named Anna to replace the first Anna, and then Bartlett, who died at six months old from whooping cough in mm. 18, probably whooping cough mm. in 1832. Yeah. Um, 1832, typhus fever hit the family. All of them suffered. Patty could not raise her hand to her head and lay in the same room where um, Anna died. Anna, the second sister um, named so had died. So Sylvia, the oldest girl, who is the one, of course, we talked about earlier, um, being the second time deprived of her only sister, she mourned and wept until she had to go to bed. So that's really sad. Yeah. 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 That's really sad. A month later, Enoch and Patty had got some better, but my grandmother was there and she and David were so sick that they did not know when Syl Sylvanus died, although they were in the room. Oh, so they were playing in the room with their own dead. Um, that's really hard. Um, and I didn't talk about this in here, but um, Patty's mother-in-law lived with them a long time until she died. And she actually, um, I think it was Patty. Um, I'm a, I think this is Patty. Um, she was helping her grandma or her mother-in-law and she was a very heavy woman. And she actually oh, injured yeah. her arm and like knocked her, her elbow cap out of place is what she called it. Although I didn't know elbows had a cap. Um, but she just pretended like nothing happened and then went out and had the seamstress hold her arm and she like put it, her arm back into place. And mm -hmm. the nurse was like, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, all's well. Like, so don't worry about it. As a, as a doctor and never complains, yeah. never complains ever. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So Patty was 39 and would soon be a grandmother when she heard the gospel. As soon as my mother heard, she believed, wrote Peregrine. And then at the time, she was the lone member in her family, and for six miles around, uh, she was the only member for almost for a year. 
And then in 1835, Brigham Young and Lyman Johnson presided at a conference held at their farm. Um, I, I don't know if I wrote this in here. Oh, yeah. They had a 400-acre farm. Um, so Peregrine wrote, I think this is Peregrine, the blessing of God attended the meeting. There were several added to the church through the ordinance of baptism and the laying on of hands. Patty's husband, David, was baptized on that occasion. A month later, Peregrine was baptized. And then they actually prepared to um, move to Missouri. So, as I said, they had a 400-acre farm. 400-acre farm. They had a mill. They had farm equipment, livestock. They were well off. They sold mm -hmm. all of that, packed all of their possessions, um, and then they moved to Missouri. Um, they left in June of 1837. Um, many a tear was shed by our neighbors and friends. Peregrine mm -hmm. had a new wife and child. Um, they left her, the, his wife's aged father and stepmother, with all her brothers and sisters, never expecting to see them again in this world. Um, I think that was true. I can't remember for sure. Um, at the time, Patty was 42 and four months pregnant. Wow. Wow. Um, and Sylvia was nearly 18. Holy cow. Wow. Mm -hmm. mm. Trooper. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they all went down to Missouri. Gather the Saints, the company consisted of Patty and her husband, the children Peregrine, Sylvia, David Jr., Peregrine's wife, Julia, and their child, Patty's half-sister, Lucy Bartlett Powers, her husband, Jonathan, and their two sons. So they travel, traveled from Maine through New Hampshire, Vermont, New York, and Ohio. And in Kirtland, they finally, they first met Joseph Smith. And they heard him preach in the temple. And then they traveled on through Indiana, Illinois, and then to Missouri. To reach wow. from Maine, they trekked 2,000 miles. Mm -hmm. road. Uh, of course, because there's no airplanes. <laughs> <laughs> and then once in Far West, they found many of the saints living in tents. Um, they quickly bought a farm and began to raise food. Uh, Patty's last child, Amanda, was born shortly after they arrived. Um, and then within six months, Patty was friends with Joseph and making visits to his house. And we know this because of journal entries where they mention being at his house or him coming over or being at the parents' house, that kind of a thing. Um, so within 15 months of arriving in Far West, they had to flee to Illinois um, because of the strife. Patty continued to serve as a midwife and walked alongside the other Mormons, all while caring for her baby, now nearly two years old. And again, she would be like 44 at this time. Dang. Um, there was a story where they were stalled at the frozen Missouri, uh, Mississippi River and had to camp in a tent with three inches of snow on the ground. They crossed the frozen Mississippi in March and eventually landed in Nauvoo. Um, and that was the time during which she delivered the nine babies. On the yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Yeah, I'm like, and she delivered 90 babies. Yeah. Uh, she, <laughs> she just did, did it years old. <laughs> Marks them in her year old. <laughs> she says, um, uh, laid Mrs. Sanders to bed with a baby boy. And like, that's how she just says, uh, like, because uh, almost all of her um births went perfectly i don't know how she did it because of the the mortality rate yeah. right now for doctors is awful but there she only mentions having trouble like a few times yeah i read that too so i wonder if she like what like she just kept really good like like hygiene for herself i hear one of the reasons kids were lost is that the doctors didn't wash their hands or stuff like that well men mm -hmm. things about giving birth that doctors like they do differently. Doctors are more concerned with procedures and midwives are more concerned with like, I don't know. Anyway, I don't know. I'm not a midwife. 
<laughs> well, like it makes you think of like the word of wisdom where Joseph could have given, he could have received revelation such as that, like how do doctors can take care of people? And instead he's like, don't drink coffee or, or, you know, strong or, liquor or, or whatever. tea that is actually <laughs> good for you. Yeah. Anyway. <sighs> yeah. So this is frustrating um, as well. So Peregrine, um, Patty's first son, Sylvia's brother, he left on a mission in June, leaving his wife and child with his father's family. When he returned an entire year later, he found the family suffering from malaria. And remember, he came from, they had a 400 acre farm, all of that stuff. When he came back, they were in a log cabin, 14 feet square. So like barely bigger than this room without any chin, chimney, not much floor. It was not chinked. So there was holes in the walls, a poor roof and every shower of rain wet all that were in the house. My family and friends with hardly a whole garment and in poverty and distress. Sickness was in almost every house. That's a stark difference between yeah. non-Mormon and their Mormon life. What year was this? Do you know? Um, when traveling west? Um, I don't know. That's a really good question. Uh, no, I'm going to go back and see. So they're traveling landed in Nauvoo and then he left so this is Nauvoo okay I'm just thinking I'm trying to like think about like what's all going on I think they started to travel to Utah in, in like 47 so this might have been like, like quickly after mm -hmm. yeah and um, Peregrine did a lot of traveling <laughs> as we were gonna find out <laughs> did a lot of traveling mm. So, okay, and then just to mention, Amanda, uh, to, just to mention, Amanda, three and a half, died of croup in 1840. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that was around 1840 was okay. the time. Um, the same month, they were finally able to move into their new home in Nambu. Patty was grief-stricken at the loss, but wrote, The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. She's quoting Job. Wow. Yeah. Um, okay, so to her marriage to Joseph Smith. It isn't really clear if Patty knew about Sylvia's marriage to Smith before marrying uh, him herself a month later. She would have known soon after, if not before. Um, her journal says, I was sealed to Joseph Smith for time and all eternity. Sylvia, my daughter, was present when I was sealed to Joseph Smith. Um, so Sylvia knew, <laughs> definitely. Patty was 47 at the time, and, and, he, and she was his first older wife. Um, this is probably purely religious in nature and no cohabitation took place. Just child content. So, um, however, she became an important part of his family. She and others of his plural wives participated in his subsequent marriages by educating prospective wives and serving as messengers and by acting as witnesses at ceremonies, which feels real gross to me. But Well, also like this aspect of educating prospective wives, like I feel like it'd be in Joseph's best interest to have a woman who is older, like a motherly figure who has accepted polygamy to help manipulate or indoctrinate these younger women to just think of that as, as okay. Like, Oh, she thinks it's okay. It must be okay. Yeah. Yeah. So Patty's husband, David in 1845 becomes a polygamist. So he marries Rosella Cowens Cowens and Patty had a terrible time with her. There was pages and pages of their drama is 
That's weird. But... <laughs> I wonder what? why. So uh, well, Rosella just acted like a teenager and like did not help. And Patty is a worker. So she was like, why will you not do anything? And it was just, anyway, drama. So at winter quarters, the tension between the two women became so much that Rosilla actually left and returned to Nabu. Um, David married again in 1850 to 19-year-old Harriet Wixom. I don't think we mentioned this, but it was funny because there was like three Harriets um, involved in the story between these two, um, Patty and Sylvia. Three, three mm -hmm. Harriets. Um, anyway, Patty is almost 55 and David is nearly 60 when he marries the 19-year-old Harriet Wixom. There is no major conflict between Harriet and Patty, and sometimes Patty even watched her child. So um, she was divorced at 19 with a baby um, when she married David. Uh, shortly after this, David passes away from a stroke. Patty often wrote, I feel bad, and oh, how lonesome I am in her journal. Like she wrote, I feel bad, like a lot. Like during like, their marriage. Sometimes she didn't say anything else except, I feel bad. I feel bad. I feel bad. Like it doesn't clarify exactly um, whether that's physically or emotionally, but um, wow. she didn't talk about her the way that David is not nice to her. She says she says that I feel bad, or he talked, or he said he was hard to me, and I feel bad, kind of a thing. Mm. Did not enjoy being um, a polygamous wife. And then, yeah, to quote uh, Todd Compton, the polygamous experience for women was often defined by the husband's absence. So she spent a lot of time yeah. feeling alone. Yeah. yeah. You hear that a lot. <laughs> yeah. So after David died, um, Patty married John Perry in 1850. In her journal, she wrote, I was married to John Perry and I feel to thank the Lord that I have someone to cut my wood for me. I just like her. I like that. She's like, what I need a husband for? Cut the Priorities. No. <laughs> Go get the cows in. <laughs> so they seemed good for about two years. And then John Mary, John Perry was, um, he went to see Brigham, which is um, code for, yeah, well, you're going to be a polygamist. Yeah. Yeah. So when you go to see Brigham, he, and that's actually how Patty was married to John Perry. Uh, she said, John Perry went to see Brigham. And then like the next, next entry was, uh, we got married. So there you go. Brigham is handing out the marriages. Um, so she, so John Perry gets married again. Patty was very distraught when uh, she discovered that her new husband was becoming polygamist. Um, yeah. Did not tell her beforehand that that was going to happen. And she was very hurt what? by that. No Just, law, Sarah. What's going yeah. on here? <laughs> that, yeah, exactly. That talks about that. Um, like, you're supposed to, supposedly they're supposed to get the approval on, and the yeah, and it didn't happen. It's just a shame. Yeah. Such a BS law. Anyways. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so, um, so he took the second wife and he would like split his time between um, her and, what do you know, Harriet? Um, mm -hmm. Is that the second Harriet? I think that, anyway. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so he would split his time between them, but then eventually just kind of just stayed with Harriet. Um, she was 31, John was 65. So he spent all of his time with Harriet. Um, and then just like later, she wrote in her journal, John gave me 10 and a half pounds of flour and one pound of butter. The first he has given me in over two years. So like, <laughs> he's just like, the, just kind of has left her alone. In fact, there's, um, I don't think I wrote it in here. Um, she actually bought things from him. 
Like she's, yeah. Uh, uh, marriage at all. No. Um, so then Todd wrote, Todd Compton said, here, here we see another characteristic of polygamy. The men, well, I think we have some typos. Uh, here we see another characteristic of polygamy. The men or often were willing to add plural wives to their families, but after the marriage took place, found they were unable to support the multiple families adequately, and the wives often had to depend on siblings and teenage sons. Or so, themselves. Oh, or yeah, themselves. Or themselves. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Patty, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, so I don't like the idea of Joseph's polygamy at all, but also polygamy in general is just, like, really unhealthy, in, like, in my opinion. Um, but like you're abandoning women, you're having, you're separating couples, they're having to depend on their siblings and on their children, which forces the children to be growing up and maturing quickly. There's just mm-hmm. so many bad things, mm-hmm. constant feelings of depression. I'm not good enough. It's just really and, like, bad. Humans are social creatures and you shouldn't, I mean, they, they're not meant to be alone, but when you're a polygamous wife, you can't be spending time with another romantic interest. So you have to depend on other people mm-hmm. uh, or just nobody. And like, that's just going to yeah. into depression. I think it was Zina that said that um, you shouldn't expect to love your polygamous yeah. husband. You just, that's just not, that's just off the table. Yeah. Like no, love's not part of it. Yeah. It's just so sad. That's what it is. It's just so sad. It's actional. Oh yeah. So there, yeah. It's like abandonment it's yeah and it's not just them it's their children too yeah um or they were essentially single wives or yeah well single moms yeah 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 they're just it's so but like but like a single mom would have more freedom you know like if you're the one like you can't marry anybody else you can't have um, relationships with anybody else, but well, but he's also not going to support you, so you just have to just suffer. Yeah. Well, and it also comes with the thought of, oh, if she's the prophet's wife, she's being taken care of. Like they probably yeah, don't even like. Fine. We're not going to bother to go over, you know, and see if she's okay or or whoever it was. Even if they're just a polygamous wife of someone that's not the prophet. Yeah. Like. He obviously was, you know, given those wives because he's so spiritual and such a good man that he for sure will take care of them. It's kind of, but then they're not, (laughs) they're just, you know, abandoned. And I don't know, especially in this time, especially in this era where like you can't all, all these polygamous people can't have like there's not there's no cars there's no like quickly go from one house to the next house most of the time they don't live by each other yeah so i don't know there's just so i just feel for them yeah it's really really rough so much yeah i wish that they would have had time without all of this oh yeah So, um, Patty, when John Perry died in 1868, it was actually, um, 
Oh, no, never mind. Um, so he died in 1868. Patty did mourn him. She just talked about how good of a man he was. Um, she was now fully a widow. And um, because of her own um, hard work, she actually ended up being pretty wealthy. At one point, she even loaned Brigham Young $175 in gold. Which I thought was pretty cool. It's really, I feel like that's really impressive. Because especially, like, because he Brigham was pretty rich. Was, I think in the time period, he was like a millionaire. And so if she's lending him money that's but was he really a millionaire if he's asking for 175 dollars from um, taking care of his wives at all yeah, yeah. <laughs> um she did she also started a preschool in utah called the patty sessions academy and she died mm -hmm. in 1892 nearly 98 years old she just sounds like a really cool she person. sounds like a really good human right yeah. like really great yeah. um, and yeah. then this in here by her son peregrine he was a polygamist and uh, if I kept, if I read that correctly, he had fifty-five children. Wow! No, it's like rivaling Brigham. I know that's what I was just gonna say. <laughs> okay, so this is so in April. This is the next month, April of eighteen forty-two. Is Joseph Smith? Um, surprise! He denies polygamy. Joseph preached in the Grove after Elder Elder William Law had spoken and pronounced a curse upon all adulterers and fornicators again, oh, and on virtuous persons. So carefully worded. And those who had made use of his name to carry on this inadequate designs. And that's from the History of the Church, Volume 4. And then um, from another website called Mormon Polygamy Documents, they list this as the ninth denial of polygamy. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so that's interesting. That's interesting. You're lying, Joseph. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then in April of 1842, he takes on his 10th plural wife, even though he's just denied <laughs> these affairs. So then the last one is, um, sometimes she's listed as Nancy Miranda, um, Todd Compton. Last one for this podcast, right? Last one for this podcast, yeah. <laughs> Not last one. Not the last one. By far. Uh, no. <laughs> so yeah, there's, she's sometimes called Nancy Miranda, um, Todd Compton calls her Miranda Nancy, so I'll just call her Miranda. Um, Johnson Hyde Smith, so. Uh, so Miranda Nancy Johnson, she was born in uh, June 28th of 1815 in Vermont. She was the seventh of 15 children. When her parents joined the church, I thought this was interesting. She says, I remember feeling indignation and shame at their belief in such a ridiculous fake. When Joseph simply looked at her, she said she knew that what he claimed to be, she knew what he was. she knew he was what he claimed to be and never doubted him thereafter. So just by looking at him, she gains a testimony. He must have some real good blue eyes. That's all I got to say. So whenever they look into his eyes, that they're like mesmerized. That's, Real that's how Julia does her TikTok too. She just mesmerizes. That's me. right. That's right. You do do that, Julia. <laughs> okay, so there's a story that I've I've heard in church history, and I didn't really attribute it to her mom, but there's a story of this woman. Her and interestingly, her mom's name is Elsa, um, but she has a lame hand. It's um, chronic rheumatism. So she can't open it. And so Joseph comes over and he, and this is given from a, an active member of the church and from a non-member who are telling the same story. And so he blesses her. Um, and then he immediately leaves the room and then he, she's able to open her hand and she's able to go and do better her chores. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, but yeah, cool story. And then Joseph and Sidney Rigdon stayed in the Johnson farmhouse as they preached in the Pomfret area. And she would have been the 15 or 16 at the time. And then later Joseph and Emma, the famous story that we'll tell in a second, Joseph and Emma stayed with them for seven months. So again, we see the pattern of Joseph living with women before he marries those women. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
And then so the, the story here is that the John in the Johnson home, that Sydney and Joseph were dragged out of their house and they were tarred and feathered on March 24th of 1832. Um, so there's two versions of the story. Version one is, well, we'll just go over there and then talk about them. So version one is from Clark Braden. It's late, anti, and secondhand. But he claims that Miranda's brother, Eli, led the mob against Joseph because the prophet had been too intimate with Miranda. They, bought, they brought the doctor to castrate him because he had committed a sexual impropriety. This would suggest a very early marriage for Joseph and Miranda. Also, Miranda doesn't even have a brother named Eli. So that has some problems with it. But then version two comes from Hayden and S.F. Whitney, who say that Simon's writer led the mob. And the reason for the violence is one of, for economic reasons, they, it says the horrid fact that a plot was laid to take their property from them and place it under the control of Smith, which was this, this did seem to be a, a kind of common practice with Joseph is like you give, you give your land to Joseph and he leases it back to you. So, so he probably just had a really hard time with that. So, so there's some facts that they're not, I don't know how much you can call them facts because this is just a witness. Luke Johnson was there mm -hmm. and there are things that we know for sure. The men were painted. They had their faces painted black. Her brothers were involved in the mob. Um, they were tarred and feathered and they did bring a doctor and the doctor was brought to castrate Joseph. So, so it makes, so the Miranda story, the first story makes the most sense to me because why would you want to castrate Joseph for taking your land? Like it doesn't, it doesn't quite fit in my head, mm -hmm. but, but like it, it's an unreliable source. So I'm not sure how to, how to weigh the two. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And then, so I, I brought, I'm pulling this picture of Joseph and getting tarred and feathered. And there's this scene, I don't know if you've seen Under the Banner of Heaven. Mm -hmm. they, they re, they show this scene. It almost seems like it is the Miranda one because he, the doctor's there to castrate him. Yeah. And Joseph like looks at him and he like, can't even remember what he says, but it was a really eerie moment uh, in the show of this whole exchange. So if you haven't seen it, you should go watch it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Orson Hyatt, so Miranda married Orson when she was 19 and he was 29 and they got married in 1834. Her first child sadly died at birth, but her second was able to live. And then three weeks later after the child was born, Orson was called on a mission and he didn't get back until the child's very first birthday. So he's just gone the whole time. So, and then Orson signed an affidavit. So he was disaffected from the church for a little while. In 1838, he signed an affidavit that said, that Joseph planned to take the state and he professes to his people to, in, to intend taking the U.S. And, and ultimately the whole world. If he, Joseph Smith, was let alone, he would be second, the second to Muhammad to this generation and that he would make it one, make it one gore of blood from Rocky Mountains to the Atlantic Ocean. So Joseph's going to take over the world is what he's saying. And then according to Todd Compton, so later this year, Joseph is put in uh, Liberty Jail. And Todd Compton says this letter was a big part, or this affidavit was a huge part in getting Joseph in, in prison. So that's pretty bad. But yeah, the next year, though, Orson sought reinstatement from the, with the church, and uh, they allowed him back. And then I, I want to just note that Miranda did seem to truly love Orson. And again, the doctrine of polygamy was really hard for her to accept at first until she was able to become convinced of it later. And this is another thing that I thought was really interesting is in the Doctrine and Covenants, we get revelations that Joseph receives, like men on missions or whatever. But there's a lot of things that he wrote that were never canonized. And and December 2nd of 1841, Joseph receives this revelation. And essentially what's happening is he says um, he receives revelation that um, Ebenezer Robinson is to take in Nancy Miranda Johnson with her children while Orson's on his mission. 
They're like, take her in, take care of her. And then he also says something interesting at the end. He says, and let my handmaid Nancy Miranda Hyde hearken to the counsel of my servant Joseph in all things whatsoever he shall teach her. And it shall be a blessing upon her and upon her children after her unto her justification, save the Lord. So to me, this sort of sounds like polygamy. Like mm-hmm. you should listen to Joseph when he finally teaches you about polygamy. And yeah, just in case. So. so there is a rumor that Joseph Smith would send men on missions and then he would marry their wives. And so far we haven't really seen that to be the case, although we have seen that Joseph seems to have sent men on missions so that he could be with their wives, like Zina and Henry. He went on like eight or ten missions. Yeah. So that's yeah. So this is this is where that rumor comes from, is with that with with Miranda Hyde. And Joseph and Miranda were sealed on April in April of 1842. She was 26 and he was 36, and Orson was on his mission. And there are four antagonistic reports of this marriage. So Sidney Rigdon says Orson did not know of the marriage and he was, Joseph was playing a trick on Orson in his absence and he was so offended that he stopped living with his wife. But this story has problems because um, Orson uh, did, always lived with his wife. And, uh, but in that story, he wouldn't have found out until the next year that she was married. So there's problems there. But in the next, in the next uh, report, so no, the second one, it was from William Hall. Joseph demanded Orson's. Uh, so when Joseph, when Orson was being reinstated, he said, give me your wife and all your money. And so that's like, it's a little bit unreliable because he also told the story of Zina and it was really um, like not right, not correct. So he's not very reliable. And then version three is John D. Lee. He's saying, yes, Miranda had permission from Orson to marry Joseph and that Orson knew of the marriage. And then Annaliza Webb Young, who wrote the 19th wife, her ex was a on Brigham Young's polygamy. She said that Orson didn't know of the marriage in 1842 and that he was extremely upset with the news when he learned of it after his mission. So we don't know for sure, but Todd Compton makes an interesting point. He says, theoretically, the second husband may have encouraged the first husband to take other wives to compensate for the loss of the first wife to help them start their own eternal kingdom. So Joseph taking Miranda from Orson is taking away his wife and all the kids that they have together are his. So. Anyway, every time, every way you spin this story just is still bad. Whether he knew about it or not, uh, it's, yeah. And so to compensate him for the loss of his wife, he would promise him more wives? Yeah, so um, after he returned from his mission, his wife's no longer his wife. Uh, Joseph's like, hey, you can you can become a polygamist. So that throughout the remainder of their marriage, he kept marrying younger and younger women. Some of them are older, but most of them are like 18, 19, 21. And then one interesting fact is that we know Orson received a second anointing in January of 1844, which is like automatic salvation. But he did say later that that uh, Miranda hadn't yet received that. And usually it's a husband and wife pair who do it. So that was just interesting that that didn't happen for her. But I guess if you're still to Joseph, your exaltation is automatic anyway. So mm-hmm. anyway, another interesting <clears throat> So another interesting thing is that usually the wives were sealed to Joseph by proxy for time and eternity and then to their husbands for time only. But on January 11th of 1846, um, Orson and Miranda were sealed for time and eternity. So so I'm wondering if Orson understood that if Miranda was sealed to Joseph for eternity, he would lose her and his children. So he probably convinced her, hey, be sealed to me, not Joseph, because this is too much at stake for me. So I thought that was really But then later, so as Orson continued to marry other women, most of them younger, 
Miranda changed her mind about her sealing to Orson, and then in 1856, she was sealed to Joseph for eternity instead. And then finally, in 1870, after 34 years of marriage, Miranda and Orson formally divorced. And then one biographer with the same last name, I'm, I don't know if she's family, but she says that there's no evidence of animosity, animosity between the two of them. They just simply drifted apart, which makes sense because he was taking on so many other wives and not paying her any attention. But Miranda was dear friends with a number of other prominent Mormon women. She was friends with Eliza R. Snow, Zina Huntington, Louise Beeman, Mary Elizabeth Leitner, and many others that um, we have talked about already. In many ways, Miranda's story shows the strains on a polygamous bride and that she has to work to make her ends meet, rely on extra wives and female friends, and depend on her children and watch uh, her, as her husband woos younger and younger women, sort of like with Patty's sessions and, and her whole story. It's just yeah. so sad. <laughs> it's yeah. just so sad. I don't know. Um, yeah. So we've come. We've come to the end of our slides for this <laughs> second yeah. part of polygamy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just. I always. I hate when we end these because they're so sad. They're like. Yeah, me too. It's really depressing, and there's not many way to to change that, but. Yeah. We've lost America and Julia, Julia a little bit on their video, but, oh, I think it might be coming back now. But, um, yeah, <laughs> I it's just always so sad. It just leaves me, I don't know. I think it's kind of like, I kind of feel this way sometimes with, like, even in today's day, just with the normal LDS church, like I have a deep grief for my mom. I know that sounds weird because she wasn't polygamous. She wasn't anything. Um, she had seven kids and she was a mom, you know, and, but then I find out like, um, my sisters and I started asking her questions like who she wanted to be and what her dreams were before she got married, you know, super young and had a baby right away, you know, and she wanted to be an attorney and she wanted to, you know, do all these things. And she had goals and dreams and things like that. And she put them all on hold to, you know, raise us all and kind of, I just feel like if she just would have known, <laughs> like if she just would have known how, how much more life she would have lived. I kind of feel sad, you know, just kind of sad in a way that so much was just put on this dream of eternity. And now for myself to know that that doesn't exist, that dream it's hard to kind of grieve for her what was taken from her for from her you know and she's my mom's 80 I'm the six of seven kids you know I'm at the bottom and it just I don't know there's a part of my heart that just kind of hurts for her well, you know for, for all all of us women who are so good and do everything exactly right and give up every, you know, pleasure or joy in this life so that we can have eternity, you know, mm -hmm. the perfect, perfect eternity. 
we are not living our lives so that we can have this eternal life promised to us that is not guaranteed and is, in, in my opinion, non-existent. You know, it's a fairy tale. So, like, how sad that that's mm -hmm. how we spend our lives. Yeah. All and how small you have to become small, yeah. to, like, agree to that life if you really think about it. Like, so small you can't even talk to your children. So small that you're one of many, 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 many that has nothing to do with creation or, I don't know, there's just, oh, it's just so sad. And I think of these women, I don't know, in some way, I love that. I love what they did. Like, I love that them, in some ways, I love that this group of men just were too busy for them. And they decided to, you know, make these hospitals and grow this wheat and become rich and, you know, do their own thing without them because they weren't privileged to have privileged to have them, you mm -hmm. know, around all the time. And I'm like, you bad A's, you know, <laughs> like yeah. you're just these empowered, awesome women that made stuff happen because you weren't given it, you know, and all these things they did. And in the process, they had a bazillion kids in between. And then at the same time, I'm like, you know, what would they have become if they didn't, yeah. you know, if they didn't have to be small or they didn't have to trek across the whole country, you know, what would that family who had 400 acres and you know, neighbors that cried when they left and, you know, what would they have had? What would they have become? Um, there's so many what ifs, I guess. Yeah. You just kind of have to grieve it a little bit. They probably wouldn't be in the history books. They'd just be somebody and, you know, somebody's ancestor, but they would have been probably, they probably would have had an easier life. <laughs> Yeah, they probably would have had easier. And who knows? They might have been, you know, with that kind of acreage and influence and people who loved them. Who knows, I guess, for sure. But, yeah, so sad. I just hate it. so sad. Yeah. I was just thinking, um, it's kind of off topic. So, so we just went through the first 10 wives of Joseph Smith, and then it's 1842, and he passes away in 1844. So he has two years to get 20 more wives. So that's what we're going to talk about next. Is this 10 wives a year? Yeah, Has 20 years to finally have the revelation. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like 43, I think it was, I, I think it was published in 43. So like just, yeah, well into his, I, I really think he had the majority of his wives. Almost all of them. By the time he received the DNC 132, yeah. So, yeah, it's just, yeah. yep. Okay, well, we shall have five more next time <laughs> yeah. that we talk again um, for Joseph's Polygamy number three episode. Um, thank you for being here, everyone who came and listened and 
was okay, held space for me to be in a angry, <laughs> hating patriarchy spot today as we recorded this one. Um, and um, I guess I look, I always look forward to it. I look forward to learning about them because I think they're important. They're an important part of history and the LDS culture. And I think they've been left out of the history. So I'm all for, you know, putting their name out into the world as many times as we can, because I think, I don't know, I have a, a love for them. And I, I think they're amazing women, all of these women that went through this. Yeah. So, um, thank you, America and Julia for all your work amazing yeah. slides and pictures and everything that you do each time. So I appreciate you guys so much. <laughs> my, my, my many errors in her slides. Don't read them too closely. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> That's for sure. Okay. Well, thanks everyone for being here and we will see you next time. On thanks, bye. Bye.